Thank you for tuning in to the audio podcast of Renaissance Church, a new church plant located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please check out our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like more information about joining the launch team of Renaissance, or if you would like information on how you can partner with us to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. I have a question. As Christians, how are we supposed to interact with the culture around us? On one hand, do we say, okay, we just blend in, we just kind of look like everybody else? Or do we like separate ourselves and kind of protect ourselves from the culture? But it leads us to the question, how are we as Christians to be different? What is it that makes us distinct? Is it the way we dress? Like, should we wear certain things that it's like obvious that, okay, that's a Christian, right? I don't know. Is it the way we drive? Maybe that's a good thing, maybe a bad thing. I don't know. Like, do we need a fish symbol on our car? Is that what sets us apart, okay? Is it the way, is it the fact that we attend church on Sunday, right? And people are like, oh, yeah, they're Christians. They go to church on Sunday. Is it how we spend our time or how we interact with people? There's a lot of ways you could look at it. What is it that makes us distinct? And it's an important question. Right? If we believe in and follow Jesus, what makes us different? Has anyone ever looked at, um, probably hopefully you did this maybe growing up, maybe not. If not, then you're about to learn something new. Has anyone ever seen a Where's Waldo book? Right? You ever seen these? Okay, so you've got these scenes, these like busy, crazy scenes, and all, th- all kinds of, um, each picture in, is filled with activity. It's typically a bustling scene of some sort. If you can find Waldo now, then I'm really impressed because it's really small up there on the screen. Right? Um, I know where he is because I saw it earlier, but don't worry, we can look later. Okay? Um, so it's typically some bustling scene of activity like this. It's like a little festival or at a beach or something like that. And so in each picture, you're supposed to find a guy named Waldo, right? And this is what Waldo looks like. And he always looks like this. So each picture, you're supposed to find Waldo. He always wears the same things. So you just have to look really hard and pick him out of the busy photo. His shirt, obviously, is pretty recognizable and distinct, right? So we'll look for Waldo later. But as Christians... Are we just supposed to be like Waldo, easily recognized by our life, by our outward appearance? Just kind of look kind of the way, okay, it's easy to know. It's easy to know that they're a Christian because of whatever, right? Maybe, you know, like, it, it's got to be more than that. Okay, because what if, imagine, you got to use your imagination with me this morning, okay? Is everybody going to use imagination? What if Waldo didn't wear his signature red and white shirt? How would we find him? Well, we might not be able to. It would take a lot of extra time to be like, okay, there is Waldo. But, you know, imagine this with me. What if everyone in the picture, right, we see this whole photo here, we see all this stuff happening, and what if all these people in the picture, they knew Waldo, and they knew right where he was because of the way that he lived his life, the way that he lived out his faith, the way that he loved people around him. Hey, maybe I have a new idea for a book series. Like, where's Waldo, like, the following Jesus edition. Waldo is just like this man of God that loves and loves Jesus. Okay, maybe not. I don't know. But the point is this. I want us to pay attention. What if everyone in that picture didn't have to look for Waldo and recognize him by his outward appearance, but they recognize, no, I know where Waldo is. He loves people. He serves people. This is who Waldo is, right? Okay, stick with me, right? What makes us different? We're going to circle back to Waldo in a moment. What makes us distinct? 
Here's what I want us to see this morning from our scripture. We will be distinct from the world when we live to love God and love others. We will be distinct from the world when we live to love God and love others. As we continue in our Follow Jesus series this morning, we're in Mark chapter 12, and we're really getting close to wrapping up the book of Mark. So I invite you to um, keep reading along with us and studying the book of Mark along with us as we go. But this morning, I just want to read three verses. Uh, Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. So let's read these together this morning, and we will jump in from there. If you need a Bible, they're available, or you can follow along on the screen as well. So Mark chapter 12, verse 38. Sorry, 28. It says this, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. If you've been around church much in your life, that's a pretty well-known, pretty common part of Scripture, where Jesus summarizes the law in two things, love God and love others. What's happening in this passage? Well, the religious leaders, and really all of Mark 12, if you go read it, the religious leaders are trying to trick and trap Jesus. And they're asking him these, like, complex theological questions and cultural questions, and they're trying to, like, make him slip up and do something so they can say, yeah, you're, you're fake. We don't want to follow you, right? They are very caught up in their rules and their religious systems. They're so caught up that they're missing the point. The Jewish people at the time, they followed the law that God had given them, but they had also begun to add different various laws, and they had like 613 different laws that they were aiming to follow. That's a lot of laws for them to follow. And it was a common thing for these guys to discuss. It was like they'd be sitting around having coffee or tea or whatever, saying, which one's the most important? And they, they enjoyed getting into these discussions about which law was the most important. And really what they wanted to do, they wanted to flex their intellectual and theological muscles and show off, how, show off about how much they knew. And they loved to dispute and to argue. It kind of sounds like social media, doesn't it, right? They wanted to say, oh, I think this is most important because of, you know, whatever. Anybody in here a basketball fan? Okay, this could be a totally, like, if you're not into basketball, then just track with me. But in basketball, two of the most well-known players ever, one of the most ever is Michael Jordan, right? He doesn't play anymore, but currently there's a guy named LeBron James. So LeBron James is on the left there in the purple, the Lakers jersey. Now, if you were to, like, you can go on YouTube or you can go on, like, even on sports radio at various times, and this question comes up, who is the better basketball player? Who is the greatest basketball player of all time? And there's a bunch of people who say, it's Michael Jordan, doesn't matter. He is the greatest. As many other people will say, no, it's LeBron James. He's better. He's done all this. And they get in these arguments back and forth. Who is the greatest of all time? Who is the best basketball player? And it's kind of what's happening here among the, the religious leaders. They're arguing who's the best. Which, I mean, which law is the most important? Well, I think it's this. No, I think it's this. And everybody's got their argument, and everyone's got their side. So here in Mark 12, Jesus is questioned about what the most important commandment is, and he summarizes the whole law in two statements, love God and love others. So what does that mean for us? What's it mean for you and I this morning? It means this, that we will be distinct from the world when we live to love God 
and love others. So Jesus, the man comes and asks him this question, hey, what's the most important law? Jesus gives a short and simple answer. So let's dig a little deeper, though. Let's look at verse 29. And here's what I want to take you a little bit on a journey. And if you're into like any like his history, hopefully this will, um, we're going to make a big journey back and then make a big circle. So just track with me, right? Let's look at verse 29 and see. So the man asks the question, and this is what Jesus answers. It says, Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. So in verses 29 and 30, Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting from history, from the book of Deuteronomy. All right? So if you've got uh, a Bible there, uh, you can look on the screen. We can, hang on, i got to save my spot here. Flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so I want you to track with me here because Jesus answers this question. What's the most important? And he immediately jumps back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. So let's read this together. Deuteronomy 6 verses 1 through 9. It says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Now listen and see if this sounds familiar. Verse Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." So this part of the Old Testament is really important in Jewish history, and it's called the Shema. That's fun to say. Can you say that with me? Shema? Brock, can you say Shema? Right? So the word Shema literally means, hear, O Israel. So at both times it says, hear, O Israel. It's this idea that says, hey, pay attention. It's calling something to attention, saying, listen up, pay attention. It's like your parents using your full name, right? If that happens, you know you need to pay attention, right? It's like, hey, This is serious. Pay attention. And so Jesus does this in Mark 12, and here in Deuteronomy, they say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God is one. It is a rallying cry. Hey, pay attention. Everybody listen, because something important is coming and about to happen. So here's something I learned this week about the Shema, that every devout Jew recited this two times a day. And even today, Jewish people, many Jewish people still do that today. They recite this, the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They do this to keep up the great ancient national protest against the polytheisms and the pantheisms of the world. Okay, a lot of big words there. Polytheisms was, they, they are declaring, it's like a protest. We are declaring God, our God, is the only God. And they do this against the polytheism, which means people that believe in lots of different gods, or the pantheism, which is people that believe that anything and everything can be God, right? So, for the Jewish people to say this, it was almost like a protest. We are staking our claim. This is who we are. This is what we believe. We are stating that the Lord, our God, is one. It is the great declaration of faith in one living and personal God, 
one Jehovah. So, the Shema is a statement of belief, a statement of faith, proclaiming that God, our God, is the one true God over all other gods. It's a protest against all other gods. And for a Jewish person, the Shema is a daily reminder of who they are and what they believe. Okay, there's your history, right? Why did Jesus bring up Deuteronomy chapter 6? Let's get a little bit of background here on Deuteronomy. Why was it written? Moses wrote the book of Deuteronomy right before he died. Right, and this is right before the Israelite people, God's people, were to enter what the Bible calls the promised land. It was this place, the land of Canaan, that God was sending them into, that God was giving them to take possession of. So this is written right before they do that. And so the book of Deuteronomy, if you look at the whole thing, it reiterates God's promise to his people. It reiterates God's covenant. The whole book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy was a reminder to the Israelite people that they were to be set apart, that they were to be distinct. They were about to enter a land filled with other people, filled with other gods, with other belief systems, and yet they were to be different. They were to be set apart. So Deuteronomy 6, then, is important in showing how they would be different. God didn't just say, hey, go be different. God lays out for them in Deuteronomy 6, this is what it's going to look like for you and for your families to be different. So when we look at verses 4 through 9 again, we see that passage. He says, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and with all your might, and these words that I command you shall be on your heart. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What is happening here? We see the command to love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. In, in the book of Mark, Jesus says strength as he quotes this passage. And so all, it's a simple word, right? All, it's repeated there, but it means whole. It means with everything. With my whole life, God, I worship and love you. And when it talks about with all my might and all my strength, it's not necessarily talking about like, okay, I'm just going to like physically like flex my muscles to love God. No, it's, 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 it's really saying it's loving him with everything, exceedingly, with everything in me, with all I've got, loving and following and worshiping God. And then it begins to lay out the how. Because it begins to talk about daily life and family life. When we look at verse 7, it says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. Well, what's it talking about here? It's this idea of you should recite them, you should repeat them, you should continue day in, day out, teaching your children what it means to love and follow God. And then, and then he kind of gives some like actual pretty specific things. When? When you sit in your house. Well, what's that mean? I think it's just life. It's everyday life eating meals together, getting ready for school, getting ready to go somewhere, holidays, whatever it is, when you sit in your house. Secondly, he says, when you walk by the way. Well, what's that mean? They would have traveled places. So for us, as we walk to the metro, as we get in our car and go somewhere, as we take the bus, are we looking for opportunities to teach our kids how to love and follow Jesus? When you lie down, bedtime, taking those precious times at bedtime to say, hey, 
Let's pray. Let's thank God for our day. Let's think about the things we learned today. Let's think about the struggles of today, and let's put our attention on God as we go to sleep. And then he says, when you rise, that's morning time, when you get up and you're eating breakfast and all these things that we are teaching our children and pulling them back to say our focus is on God. This is all part of what is in Deuteronomy is called the Shema. Our focus is on God, and this is how it plays out in our daily lives. And then you look at verses 8 and 9, and these are kind of odd. He says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and it'll be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house. Well, what does that mean? For a Jewish person, they had literal physical things where they would put pieces of scripture, and they would, like, tie it on their wrist, or they would have a thing on their forehead, which is kind of funny, right? We don't know do that. Or they would have uh, on their doorposts, they would have a little thing that had parts of scripture And all of it was to remind them. It was all symbolic of we are set apart as God's people. And so for us, that life can be filled with constant reminders of who God is. And as individuals or as parents or just in our life, how can we fill our life with ways that we are reminded of who God is, that our attention is drawn back to him? And these things are not a checklist right? It's not like check, check, check. Okay, we prayed at breakfast, we prayed at bedtime, all these things. No, rather they are a way of showing that all of life is centered on God. And everyday moments can be symbols and reminders of who God is. So let's flip back to Jesus. I told you we're, we're going somewhere with all of this. When Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment, he immediately goes to Deuteronomy 6. It's as if Jesus is saying the most important thing in life, the most important thing is a life and a home centered on God. When we look at Mark chapter 12, Jesus does add something. He says, secondly, second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. He's borrowing this from a different part of the Old Testament to summarize the law. So he takes all these laws and he says, hey, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're going to be fulfilling the law. What's that mean? It means that if we will treat the people around us with the love and the respect that we desire to be treated with, that if we're doing that, then most likely we are going to be fulfilling the law because we are seeking to show people love and respect. We are living with humility and kindness. We're serving people. We're forgiving people and all these things that the law was meant to do that if we will treat people that way, because that's how we want to be treated. We want to be respected. We want to be loved. If we begin to say, God, how can I sacrificially love and treat people in that way? We will be fulfilling the law of God. So what does it mean And why does it matter that Jesus went back to Deuteronomy to answer the question of the most important law? What does that mean for you and I? I think it means this, that the greatest commandment has to do with how we live differently. It has to do with how we are distinct from the world. And Jesus could have answered a lot of things here, and he could have quoted a lot of things, but he goes right back to saying, this is the way that you are set apart when you love God with everything in you, you love your neighbor as yourself, when your families and your homes and your lifestyles are marked by being centered around God, this is what matters and this is what makes you distinct, that we will be distinct from the world when we live to love God and love others. So let's make it a little bit more personal this morning. Two things I want us to see. What happens if we don't love God and love others? We're going to look at that first. And secondly, what happens if we do love God and love others.
Not rocket science, but track with me. Here we go. So what happens if we don't love God and love others as Christians? What if we don't live that way? Well, first of all, we want to kind of say, well, why are we living that way? What, what would be happening in us that would cause us not to do that? And I think one primary thing is this, that we fail to love God and love others because of fear. We fear giving ourselves fully to God because we don't trust him. We're guarded and unwilling to surrender our lives to God. We're afraid that God will take from us. He'll take our fun. He'll take our future, our dreams. Our natural human condition is to be skeptical of God. This is what sin has done in the world. Adam and Eve, when, when, this, when Satan came and tempted Adam and Eve, he began to put doubt in them so that they feared that God was actually good and that God was actually loving. And so we have fear. When we have fear, it keeps us from trusting God. We fear loving others as ourselves because we are constantly cynical and suspicious of people. We fear that they will use us and abuse us. And that happens in a broken, sinful world. But it keeps us from loving people. Fear. It keeps us from trusting God. It keeps us from loving people. So back to the original question. What happens if we don't love God and love others? I'm going to borrow something from a, a pastor named Tim Keller. Many of you may be aware of him. But as I listen to something um, that he, he shared recently, uh, it has just been really just like challenging me. There's two things that can happen if we don't love God and love others. If as Christians we are more turned in on ourselves or whatever. First thing is, is that we will assimilate with the people around us. It means we will just blend in. The second thing is, we can either assimilate or we can separate from the people around us. We can say, you know what, we just need to create like a little like um, Christian huddle. We need to be this because everything around us is bad, right? So to assimilate is to blend in and look like everyone else. Just to be kind of let the culture just kind of wash over us as Christians, as a church. And we say, okay, whatever feels good, we do that. We say, how do I get ahead in life? I am the center of the world. I'm most important. We are focused on today. We're focused on what's right in front of us. We believe that whatever's good for you is good for you. You think about the Israelite people as they went into the land of Canaan. Canaan was filled with people of all kinds of belief systems who worshipped all kinds of gods, and the prevailing sense was, believe what you want to believe. It's okay. And that's what happens when we, if we blend into the culture around us, then we lose our distinctiveness. We just look like everybody else. And it happens when we don't put our whole heart on loving God and on loving other people. So that's what it looks like to assimilate. What's it look like to separate? It means that we try to escape the world. And we try to insulate ourselves from the culture around us. It's the idea that the world and the culture around us is bad and we have to get away from it and we have to hide from it. When we are failing to love others, then we run, we hide, we insulate because we're afraid of what's out there there. When we don't love God and love others, as the church and as Christians, the temptation is just to blend into the world or to run from the world, and rather than being light and darkness, we just kind of run and hide somewhere else. So, what happens then if we do love God and love others? I think that rather than living in fear, 
we will live in fullness. But this is how God has created us to live, loving him and loving others. Jesus is describing what our lives as Christians should and can look like. Loving God with everything in us, and that love filling us up to fullness and spilling out on the people around us. This is what Jesus is describing, that as we are God-focused, loving him with every part of our lives, it spills out into loving the people around us. So instead of fear, we live in fullness with what God has created us to be and to do. So what happens then if we do love God and love others? I think that rather than assimilating and just blending in, and rather than separating, there's a third way that we will be distinct. We will be a new people reflecting Jesus and the fact that he gave himself away for us. That we can truly be light and darkness. That we can truly love the people around us. That we can, yes, not blend into the culture, but we also don't run from it. That we say we, as God's people, have a message of hope, have a life that's different, a life that is attractive. It's a new way because of Jesus. So what does it look like? As individuals, what does it look like to be a distinct people? So think about this in your daily life. And I'm going to step on my own toes, and I might step on yours this morning as well. It means that we have a different daily life. Ask yourself these questions. What, if, what would your life look like if prayer and scripture and God's word took priority over social media? How often, speaking to myself, do we wake up, roll over, and flip through social media? And then immediately our mind is distracted with all kinds of things. How would your life look differently if God's word and prayer took priority on a daily basis of the rhythm of your life of saying, the most important thing for me is time with God. What would your life look like if you took one day a week to truly rest and focus your attention on God? It's not normal in our culture because our culture is go, 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 do this, do this, do this. But what if as a normal pattern of your life, you had a day to set aside to say, my intention and my focus today is to rest and to put my attention on God. What would your life, life look like if you began treating others, even difficult people, with the love and respect that you desire for yourself? If we do those things, we begin to look different from the culture around us. We begin to stand out as people who are doing things differently, living by a different pattern of life centered around God. What does it look like as families? Well, we already looked at this in Deuteronomy 6. As families, what if we, when we wake up, we are teaching our kids, we are putting our focus, our attention on God, and as we go through our daily life and as we walk along the way, going to school, going places, wherever it is we're going, it doesn't have to be a worship service the entire time, but we are paying attention and looking for ways to teach our kids what it means to love and follow Jesus. And when we go to bed at night, that we don't just rush our kids to bed because we want to watch Netflix, talking to myself sometimes, right, Annabelle and Maya, do I ever do that? Oh, Annabelle says no, Maya says yes, all right? Okay, we can say, go to bed, please, go. But what if we said, okay, let's take time to think about who God is and what he has taught us. And we create these rhythms and patterns in our lives. As families, we will look different from the people around us. What if we do this as a church? 
But as a church, if we long to become a vibrant spiritual missional community, a community marked by ongoing prayer, by vibrant worship, that when we gather together, man, we just want to worship God because of his greatness. What if we are a community of people committed to the Bible, not just reading it, but doing what it says? What if we are a, com a community that is welcoming, that we say, it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from or what's happening, you are welcome to come and see the goodness of God through us? What if we are a community as a church that we are committed to share the message of Jesus with the people that are close to us? our neighbors, our family, our friends, the people who are very different from us. It doesn't take long to go very far anywhere around you in Montreal to find people very different from you. And even the people who are far from us, how can we as a church say we want to share the good news of Jesus with anyone and everyone, that we serve our community and our neighborhood, that we are generous within the church, that we are generous in our giving and in caring for each other and praying for each other, but we're also generous towards the community around us, that we truly believe that as a church that we have something to offer and we can generously give our time, our resources to serve the people around us. When we love God and love others in our individual lives, in our family lives, and as a church, these things will stand out. And it's not because we just like gritted our teeth and worked really hard. It's because God is transforming us and making us reflect Jesus. When we love God and love others, we will be noticeable. Just like Waldo, right? Waldo with his red and white shirt on, he's really noticeable. Now sometimes it's hard to find in the picture, but once you find him, you know that's Waldo, right? When we love God and love others, as Christians, we will be noticeable. But it won't, because be, it won't be because of our outward appearance. It won't be because we have a fish on our car. It won't be because of those things, right? But it will be because of the way that we love God and the way that we love others. That we will be distinct from the world when we live to love God and love others. So as we wrap up this morning, think about these things. The command that Jesus, what Jesus summarized is the greatest command. It all has to do with our heart. It all has to do with the inner part of us. To love God and to love others, these commands deal with our heart, and they deal with the way that we interact with God and the way that we interact with others. And if we're honest and we get down to it, they deal with our selfish, sinful, rebellious nature that says, I want to do things my own way, and I don't want to listen to anybody, and I'm the center of the world. Jesus is cutting through those things and saying, no, it's not about you. It's about loving God and loving others. So it's an issue then of our heart. And a reminder to you and I that we have an issue in our heart, and it's an issue called sin. It's an issue that says, I want my own way. And we need Jesus to change us, to transform us. Because again, this is not just a checklist of like, okay, I need to work harder. I need to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I need to love others as I, love my, as, as I want to be loved doesn't just happen if we work harder. It happens when we say, Jesus, would you change my heart? Would you take away the things, the things that I seek after to make me happy, the things that I run to to fulfill me, the ways that I center my life around myself? God, would you, would you shift and would you break my heart so that I am loving you with everything in me and I'm loving the people around me. And it's only a work of Jesus that changes us and makes us new people. It's the reminder that our sin separates us from God. But Jesus, 
because of his love for us, while we were still sinners, while our hearts were far from him, Jesus gave his life on the cross. He lived a sinless and perfect life so that we can know God. And Jesus not only died on the cross, he rose from the dead, conquering death. And he invites us as sinful and broken people into his family, adopted as sons and daughters, made new so that we will be distinct from the world. A new people, not blending in, not separating, but that we will be a people loving God and loving others so that Jesus is made known, so that Jesus is glorified, so that our lives are different. We will be distinct from the world when we live to love God and love others. So this morning, as we continue in worship and time together, what is God shifting in your heart? What is God speaking? Are there areas of fear? Are there areas where you're just living in fear because you're afraid of what God's going to do? You're afraid of what would happen if you surrendered? Are there areas of your life where you would say, I want fullness. I want the work of God happening in my life. Maybe this morning you need to think through what is the step I need to take in trusting God. Maybe you need someone to pray with you. Maybe you just need time to think and pray of who Jesus is and to ask God to continue transforming your heart so that we can be a people as individuals, families, and as a church that are loving God and loving others. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for our time. We thank you for your word. God, would you teach us to be people set apart? We thank you for Jesus, the work of Jesus that makes it possible for us to give our lives to you, makes it possible for us to live fully in the way that you have called us to live. God, we commit this time to you this morning. In Jesus' name.